0: A reading from the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him you have answered correctly do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right so he said to Jesus and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho he encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey, came to where the man was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending to them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy towards him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May the living word of God speak to us through these ancient words of scripture. I
1: wish that uh, you had a superpower. I always wished to fly, <laughs> it was the thing that I always wanted to be able to do. My mom said that it was because I was tall and so I had a long way to fall to the ground and that's why I wanted to be able to fly. <laughs> I think it's probably more about efficiency, about getting one from one place to another, but we'll get behind my mom's theory too. <laughs> Across the internet, if you search my superpower is, you get all kinds of fun responses. One, my superpower is positivity, or my superpower is dyslexia, my superpower is autism, my superpower is ADHD. Often it's something that the world does not consider to be a positive thing, but that the person turns into something that is a positive thing or a benefit to them, that that is their superpower. One that I have never ever wished for, however, is to be invisible. It seems like being invisible would create a lot of problems. You would probably learn things that you don't want to learn. You would probably hear things that you shouldn't have the privilege of hearing. There was a reels on social uh, media recently about a girl um, whose family pretended that she was invisible. They put a sheet over her and then said, you know, obviously, fake magic words, pulled the sheet off, and the whole family, there were like 10 of them in the room, pretended that she was invisible. Well, at first it was pretty funny. It was, you know, she sat next to them, and they pretended she wasn't there. She, um, they took a picture, and it was, um, she was in the picture, but they pretended they couldn't see her in real life. But then she got hysterical. I don't know if you've seen it. She started screaming and dissolving in tears on the floor. When she thought that she couldn't be seen, it was terrifying. And I think that like that girl, some people in our society are invisible. They're easy to walk by, it's easy to ignore them. And I'm not just talking about people who are homeless on the street. I'm talking about the regular everyday experiences of people that we might encounter. The phrase, walk a mile in my shoes, kind of gives us that impression of what it might be like to experience that person's journey, their pain, their experiences. And only when we walk in their shoes do we get that sense. But a lot of times it's easier just to not think about it. Only when it becomes an issue for us do we care about that person's invisibility. When it's about our safety or our children's safety, our desire to simply live our lives, when it's someone that gets as part of us, that we actually then experience their pain and they become visible, it's disruptive. And it's hard, it challenges our assumptions about our lives, about our blessings, about what we think about ourselves, what we think about our worlds, what we maybe deserve. There's a story also online. It was one of those in-between posts. If you're on Facebook, you know you get the ones that you've signed up for, and then in between are the suggested for you ones. I usually scroll right on by. But this one, for some reason, I stopped. The picture was fuzzy. It was of an unidentifiable man. You couldn't really see his face. And he was sitting on the curb in a parking lot next to a bicycle. And the post that accompanied it was written by Christopher Michael on October the 3rd, and it read this. I was at McDonald's in Poughkeepsie, New York tonight around 10.30 getting some fries and a milkshake when I noticed the guy sitting down next to his bike. I kind of had a feeling that he wanted to get food but couldn't. He didn't have a car and the lobby was closed. You can't go through the drive-through walking, you have to go through a car. So I offered to go through the drive-through for him. He pulled out a crumpled up coupon for a BOGO Big Mac and was struggling to get all the money together so I offered to buy his meal. The sad thing is, prior to that, we watched car after car pass him right by, and I thought to myself, that must be a terrible experience watching the world go by right by you like that and not pay you any attention like you don't even exist. It made me realize this world goes by so fast and that sometimes we forget the simple and basic good human qualities that we all possess, like empathy, humility, compassion, and more importantly, generosity. And he concludes saying, so please, if you're going to get anything out of this post, be kind to others, because one day you could be the one sitting on the curb next to your bike, starving, and have the world pass you right by as you did to others. A story that Christopher Michael told reminded me of our Bible story for today. It's probably the very best known parable in the whole Bible. You'll remember that a parable is a story that Jesus would tell. It's essentially a metaphor where he used everyday items or people or illustrations to convey a deeper truth. They're not actually true stories, but there is truth contained within them. And you could probably, if we hadn't just read it, you could probably have recited it from memory, from start to finish, There are a few details of this story that get a lot of attention when we think about it, the story of the Good Samaritan. Of course, we have the man in the ditch. Why is he there? Why was he the one that was robbed? We don't get any of those details. Then, of course, we have the two people who pass by, a priest and a Levite. These were temple authorities of the time. And then, of course, there is the third person who actually does help him, the Samaritan. But he doesn't just help him. He goes above and beyond with oil and wine, which actually are for um, his wounds. The oil was for cleaning, and the wine was used for pain. He dresses his wounds, he puts them on his animal, <clears throat> he takes him to the inn, he pays for him, offers to come back. He goes above and beyond what had been considered normal for helping somebody out. Now, much is made much is made about why the first two passed by. Often it's because it's blamed on what's called ritualistic purity. It means that if these two had come in contact with a dead body or with blood, there is a long process in the Torah of becoming ritually clean so that they could perform their temple duties, which they had a call to do. But it has led, of course, to anti-Semitic remarks berating these Jewish leaders for not helping one another or helping another person. But the reality is that in the law, in the Torah, the call to help someone in need was actually a higher law. And so it's not likely that that's the reason that they pass by. So therefore we don't actually know why that is. We don't know why they walk by this man who didn't and didn't help him. We only know that they didn't do it. We identify, or the identity as temple leaders is important because those listening would have expected them to help. And being drawn into the story now by the fact that they didn't. And so Jesus' listeners would be ready for okay, well, who is going to help? And so instead of focusing on the two who pass by, Jesus focuses on the one who doesn't. And those listeners would have expected it to be an everyday, normal Judean, someone who they would have been familiar with, a, a random person on the street, so to speak. But instead, it's an enemy. It's a long-standing history of hatred and between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so this person would not have been the one that they would have expected. And it is remarkable in that context that he stopped it all. But what we don't often consider about this story that we know so deeply well is the question that prompted the story in the first place. It was asked by a legal expert, which also is known as a lawyer. Now, Tom, we didn't ask you to read today because of your lawyership. In fact, being a lawyer at this time meant that it was the law of the Torah, the 600 something laws that are contained in the books of the Bible. It's not about the law of the land. It's about the law of the Torah. And in fact, the best understanding, I think, comes from a very unpronounceable word to me in German <laughs> that actually translates as scholar of the scriptures. So rather than thinking about this as a lawyer, think about, think about it as someone who is a scholar of the scriptures. He's an expert in the laws of the Jewish faith. So this scholar asks an unanswerable question. You see, it seems straightforward enough to us. How do I have eternal life? It's a common understanding for modern Christianity. How can my life be saved? How do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? But it's not an appropriate question in Jewish understanding. You see, Jewish understanding of eternal life is communal. It's not personal. It's not about me. It's about the community. It's not based in personal salvation, and so Jesus can't answer it. It reminds me a little of in My Cousin Vinnie Marissa Tomei, on the stand, when she says, it is a trick question. It can't be answered. That's the kind of question that this scholar is, answering, is asking. The law cannot answer it. Jesus can't answer it. Instead, Jesus tells a story about reminding him about compassion and kindness and care for another for the stranger, for the enemy, and that that trumps any sense of personal or even corporate salvation. That is why he is to go and do likewise. When the scholar lives into this, he will experience eternal life in the here and now. But I think that it's striking that Jesus does not answer with a response about how an individual can be saved. Instead, he offers words about neighbors. He offers words about compassion, about justice, about kindness. This is the diametrical opposite to worrying about ourselves. He tells us the answer to our question about eternal life it has nothing to do with us. He moves from the personal to the communal. In fact, the scholar isn't seeking justice or clarification. In fact, he's seeking self-vindication, that what he believes is right and true. He wants Jesus to tell him that. His question isn't about God or about neighbor, as the law that he quotes would suggest. It's about himself. And Jesus takes that self-focus and turns it entirely around to focus on the other. He reminds him of his roots and the essence behind the laws and the commandments. How do I inherit eternal life? Go and do likewise. This is why passing by is so dangerous. It takes the focus from the other, from the neighbor, from the enemy, and places it on ourselves, about my safety, about my sense of what I think is right. And we've all been there. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all been the ones who passed by, and perhaps it happens on a daily basis. If we move it from this literal passing by of someone, of an invisible person, to walking through our lives blissfully unaware, the ones who treated someone else as invisible, the ones who thought it was easier to just go on with our lives. But notice that Jesus does not rebuke or call out the scholar or even the two in the parable who walk by instead. He simply focuses on what is right, what is good and what is just and what is compassionate and what is kind. He doesn't come down on those who aren't able to live into it. Instead, he calls them forward into a new life. He transforms their understanding into action. So don't hear this as a rebuke of the past, but rather as an invitation to the future to your future to your life from the moment that you rise from this space of worship and go into the world where there are invisible people all over the place who need an advocate who need a kind gesture who need a healing word because often the strongest advocate is the one that is not within the community that needs the advocating for but the one who stands alongside it as an ally that is how we as a community can embody the presence of God. Remember that last week we explored that how when we gather, we embody that presence of God. And this week, when we rise up, we rise up around the invisible, we are embodying God's call to go and do likewise, speaking up for those who don't have a voice, for those who are scared, for those who are running, for those who are tired, for those who are lying in a ditch, having been hurt and cast aside. I remember the story about the McDonald's guy, the guy on the bike. After I read that story, I thought, okay, it's a good story. It's a good reminder. But there are hundreds of these every day. They don't always post about it with some hashtag. But then I saw the first comment. And this is why I brought it up today. Not because of the story. The first comment that was posted right underneath that picture. It had 1,300 reactions. And it said this. That's what people do at the church we attend, makes us feel invisible. And it was like a punch in the gut to me. It's the very opposite of the church that I know. This church, this community, the potential that this community of faith has to make those who feel invisible be visible. Our community is lived out by our collective voice to stand up for the voiceless, for the ones who feel cast aside, who are forsaken, who are scared, maybe even literally for their lives. I shared last week that I was a part of a prayer for peace the week before with other faith leaders in our town having been invited by the temple to stand on their bima. Well, this week I was at a clergy association meeting. And you can imagine that's a significant point of conversation centered on how we as a community can support our Jewish brothers and sisters, our neighbors. And the reality was conveyed to us that they feel invisible right now. They pleaded for us to check in on our Jewish friends and to ask our congregations to do the same because, and I quote him, we are not okay. Now, many public figures and organizations and leaders they have struggled with how to best publicly respond to the war. We all know that it is nuanced. We all know that it's complicated. We know that there are people who are hurting in both Israel and in Gaza. And it seems like any statement for one or the other is instantly conflated as endorsement and condemnation of the other side. And we know that it's hard to explain and that there is suffering of the people in Israel, there is suffering in the people in Gaza, and all of it is simply awful. But what ended up happening instead? Silence. Silence and neutral statements that caused even more pain that caused hurt and fear and invisibility. I want to be clear that I'm not standing here advocating for a political position. I leave that to the politicians. But I am advocating for compassion and for kindness and for voice and for visibility. The neighbors that we serve aren't just some faceless, let's be nice to this man. They are the ones that it might cost something to stand up for. They are sometimes literally, as is the case for me, right next door or right across the street. Our family of faith can do that. We can make the invisible visible. We can be the embodied presence of God here as we gather, and we can be the embodied presence of God as we look beyond ourselves. And we reach into the community around us to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Through our church, for the ones here who are gathered, as a caring community that lift up and surround those who are going through something, who are hurting, who are recovering, who are in grief. We can do it for our town and for our area as a beacon of light that reveals God's love and lift up those who are literally scared for their lives, whether they are Jewish or Muslim or another race or part of the LGBTQ community. We can do this for our world, for our broken, scary world that needs to know the love of God. We do this not for ourselves. In fact, it might mean that we face some of the same hatred as the invisible one. We do this in the name of God as the beloved community that God has called together here at 125 Elmer Street. Because this community, as a body of Christ, can change the world, one invisible neighbor at a time. And so, as Jesus said, go and do likewise.